Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for joining me on this sports podcast. You know the deal. Great guests, great topics of discussion. It's NBA playoff time, so I'm going to talk to Brandon Marcus about his Clippers making the second round, although they're in a little bit of trouble right now against the Jazz. The Suns rise past the Lakers to look like a very prominent finals contending team. We talk about the Jokic MVP season, as well as the Sixers-Hawks series out east and the Nets and Bucks in a barn burner as well. Also had that in a little baseball for us Indians and Angels fans there. And then it's Tyler Teslin on the show to talk about the NFL offseason. Julio Jones is a Titan. Aaron Rodgers in the standoff with the Packers. Talk a little hockey as well with the playoffs just ramping up as well. Brandon Marcus and Tyler Teslin on today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect to talk some hoops, some baseball. I haven't talked to this guy in a while. I think it's been about eight or nine months or so. But please welcome to the show, Brandon Marcus, back again. Uh, and and uh, might I add, with the team still in the playoffs in Los Angeles that he's rooting for. So, Brandon, thanks for joining the show. And uh, congratulations on outlasting the Lakers this year. Yeah, thanks. We'll see uh, how long that lasts for. I feel like it's like a consolation prize as this team just decides to pull at my heartstrings and make me think they have a chance, only to uh, just take a big giant dump. So we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, I have high hopes, but at the same time, I'm preparing to be let down, even though the letdown will still hurt just as much, even though I am expecting it. You had to have like a 12-hour maybe uh you know, riding high of like you beat Dallas in that incredible, you know, I shouldn't say incredible, but in a game where I think game six was Kawhi was incredible against Dallas on the road, but you outlast Dallas in game seven. And there might, there had to be like that moment, right? Where it's like, okay, now the Clippers are on, the Lakers are out. That had to feel a little good, right? Yeah. But it's funny because like, I don't really care as much about the Lakers. Like, yes, I did not want them to win at all. Like no doubt about it, but like whether they lost, in the first round, they lost in the NBA Finals. As long as they don't win it, I don't care. And it, it's funny because Lakers fans say they don't really care about Clippers fans. They don't care about the Clippers. But it's all Lakers fans talk about. And it's like <laughs> the Clippers haven't won anything. Why are you so yeah. concerned about us? Like, why is the national media so concerned about the Clippers? I understand they have Kawhi Leonard and PG and, like, cool talking points. But everyone is like, oh, are the Clippers now the favorites? It's like you guys are the ones talking about it. They finish as the four seed. Like Utah should be the favorites. Can everybody chill and just let the Clippers be? Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's definitely – it goes both ways because I understand that the Clippers fans want to prove – that the Clippers want to prove that they finally can belong and and make a run at at something for really the first time ever. But, yeah, the Lakers like to have it both ways. The fans do at least where it's like we don't really care about them. We don't think about them at all. But then it's – a big deal if the Clippers do well. They kind of have to rain a little bit on their parade, which is unfortunate. And we can spend a couple moments just on the Lakers, the defending champs out of the NBA playoffs. B. Mark, I know that Davis got hurt. It's the it's the main talking point. He gets hurt. It's quote unquote the reason that they lost. And maybe that is true. Maybe a healthy Anthony Davis and they win this series. But I will say, it didn't have the it didn't have a good feeling to me that they basically built their team around two guys. All the offseason acquisitions that were great on paper, quote-unquote, they didn't really pan out in the big moments. And I don't know. I don't know that, you know, they beat the Suns. I don't know how much further they go. I just don't think they were built for it this year. And the signs were there even when Davis was playing. I think before the season we knew that it was going to be 
an uphill battle for them because I was saying before the season that you go ahead and you lose guys like Danny Green, who have been great defensively for you, Dwight Howard, who as as up and down as he has been, he provided some good minutes and he provided some good defense and they lost a couple other guys. And the thing is, is that everyone on that team against the Miami Heat had a role and they all knew what they needed to do. And then you go ahead and you kind of have an overhaul and you bring in Dennis Schroeder, you bring in Montrez Harrell, and these are guys that are expecting to have the ball in their hands. And it got to the point where Harrell didn't even play right. in the last couple of games. And then myself included, I thought that Andre Drummond was a massive signing. The numbers that he was putting up were unbelievable and the Lakers didn't have a center. I thought that was just complete BS. The Lakers could just snag him for free, but even Drummond wasn't playing towards the end so it's funny because everyone freaks out about the buyout guys but with Drummond you put him with Montrezl Harrell and it's just these guys just don't fit and the Lakers team that won it all every piece fit this one didn't and of course I mean when you have AD and LeBron both hurt it's they never had a chance yeah Uh, if they were healthy they absolutely would have had a chance because look at what LeBron has done I mean you know Mm -hmm. it doesn't take very much for that guy to get to the finals he doesn't need many guys. He just needs four with a pulse, and he'll somehow drag them along. And he's got AD, too, but they just weren't healthy. And I'm yeah. sure they'll be back next year, but you can't have all these guys like Trez and Drummond to expect to have the ball and just aren't really the team-type players that Frank Vogel needs. Let that be a lesson to uh, all the sports fans out there, team sports in general. It's not just about talent on paper. They, the pieces, like you said, they have to fit and you know, everyone heralded, look at all this talent upgrades, but didn't work out. I was thinking when you said something there, the buyout thing is fascinating, right? Because every year it's like, oh, my God, a, a big buyout signing. But who, like, what is an example of a buyout guy that's been like this huge difference maker? Because I was trying to think of one. Has there been one that you can think of, like a buyout guy that's been like an amazing fit, a difference maker? Not that I can think yeah. of. I mean, it's funny. You look now, it's like, all right, Blake Griffin and Austin Rivers are probably the two okay. biggest that, that's, guys in the I mean, playoffs. that's solid, but it's not like they're – you know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's, it's a good piece, but it's a good piece. Yeah, it, it's nothing special. And mm-hmm. it's just, everyone makes a huge deal out of it because it's these guys that are basically washed-up players that are either putting up monster numbers on crap teams or they're just guys that are big names. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge, for example, was awful. This year, like he was not good at all. And everyone's like, oh, Brooklyn's getting LaMarcus Aldridge. And then, of course, we know what happened with him health wise. But it's just one of those things where he wasn't the same player. These guys are being let go for a reason. Like they're not getting an asset at the deadline because all the other GMs are smart enough to not give something up to acquire the salary. And the guy that's not getting much of a talent upgrade on their roster. I think that the fact that. LeBron is getting a little older is going to play into the fact that we can't really just rely on him to drag people to the finals. Like the roster around him has to be good. And I fully expect the Lakers to retool and be back in the saddle. But I also think too, this is now what every team is gone pretty much. I think all four teams are gone from the bubble semifinals last year in the first. Yeah. Round. Yeah. So maybe great. that's it. The quick turnaround uh, has done a number on not just the Lakers, but the heat, the Celtics and the Blazers, of course, too. Yeah, and you look at the teams that are left, and it's especially in the Western Conference where you have like the Nuggets, the Suns, the Clippers, and the Jazz. It's like when was the last time that those teams won 
uh, it all or even got there. I mean, the Clippers, there are a couple of these teams that are left that have never won at all. And there are some teams left that haven't won in a couple decades. So it's nice that you have some other teams that are gaining the opportunity and their fan bases are obviously excited. I'm curious to see what the ratings are like when you don't have the big name teams where you don't have the Celtics, you don't have the Lakers, you don't have the Heat. It's, wow. I mean, in the Eastern Conference, there's obviously going to be a, a big name or two, depending on who gets there, whether it's Brooklyn or Milwaukee. Um, but still, I mean, it's it's definitely a changing of the guard, mm, yeah. at least for one year at least. 2010, last time no Curry or LeBron in a final. So something to think about there as well. Um, looking at the, I mean, you could look at the odds makers, and we'll get to the East in a second where Brooklyn is positioned as it stands now as the favorite. But Utah is that second favorite at about plus 325 to win the title, which is interesting because that series with the Clippers looks like it's going to be far more physical than what we're seeing early out of Denver and Phoenix game two in progress there. But let's, let's talk about your Clippers team. Cause I know you mentioned it. Like you're not sure it's like a roller coaster. They, this version of the Clippers team is very fascinating B Mark, because just when they're down, they rally back. And just when you think they have control, they give it up again. And that could be within a series or within a game itself. Game one last night against Utah looked great early. There were some interesting rotational decisions. I'll let you take it from here, but I felt like this was, and I think you would agree, a very winnable Clippers game that they just absolutely put on a platter for Utah in game one. Oh, 100%. But but you got to look at it and see that Utah missed 20 straight shots. So it's one of those things where you knew they were going to start hitting at some point. The question was, were you going to be able to respond? And Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were not good in the first half. So I thought, okay, Utah's going to hit some shots, but so are Kawhi and PG. So the Clippers should be able to steal this one. And then, for some odd reason, as good as Ty Lue has been as head coach of the Clippers and adjusting, he goes and plays Pat Beverly, Terrence Mann, and DeMarcus Cousins in the first half and then just forgets about them. And he didn't play Pat Beverly at all in the second half. And he was a plus six in the first half. And he was playing good defense. And Pat Beverly got – I, mean, I don't want to say he got played off the floor – in the last series, it just wasn't a matchup for him. But he was really important to what the Clippers did against Utah during the regular season. And all of a sudden, he's only playing six minutes while Donovan Mitchell is going nuts. So you look at Beverly and Mann. Those are two guys that need to be getting minutes. You look at how bad Paul George was. He was 4 of 17. Kawhi was 9 of 19, but he was not good for the first three quarters. Marcus Morris had seven threes in Game 7 against Dallas was 4 of 14 so you certainly had it there for the taking and it's interesting because you could say yeah the Clippers blew this one no doubt about it because they were up big but at the same time you could say you know what the Clippers after playing a game seven on Sunday the fact that they were in it against Utah shows that this could be a series that's very winnable for them and frankly no one knows how it's going to go I mean Luke Kennard (laughs) 29 minutes man that was insane Unbelievable. The guy didn't play for the first six games or first five games of the series against Dallas. And then all of a sudden he comes off the bench and he has been great. But I I think it's going to be tough because Ty Lue has got to figure out the rotation. That's the hardest thing is he's got probably 10 guys that deserve to play. But the question is, how many minutes do they play? He played Rajon Rondo way too much in game one. But the thing with Ty Lue, and you know this, he is 
so good at adjusting on the fly, whether it's in-game or especially between games. And he did it against Dallas, where he made the rotation change or the starting lineup changes after the first two games, and then ended up winning the next two in Dallas. So he may make some changes going into game two, and if they can steal game two in Utah, which I think they need to do in order to win the series, then they could be in good shape. Just the question is, how do you do when you don't have much rest? You played all those minutes on Sunday, you then go to altitude on Tuesday, and then you got to play another game on Thursday. So you got to find energy somewhere. I think you just love Ty Lue more because it's not Doc Rivers and you watch yeah. his lack of adjustments in the in the 76ers series. It's true, man. It, it's unbelievable. It's like it, it, you see that Doc goes and plays his all-bench lineup. I've never with... seen a coach just completely lose the game single-handedly in the first half. Like oh, 100% they lose that game because late first, early second in game one, he just goes all-bench because he, he, he's the no. only coach in the NBA that hasn't figured out you should stagger your stars. He's the only one. He, he never staggered Kawhi and PG. And he decided to play Montrez Harrell for 18 straight minutes instead of playing Zoo, who's the better <laughs> defender. And he yeah. never figured it out. And so, yes, I, I mean, Ty Lue certainly I mean, is just a huge upgrade in that regard, having a coach that's somewhat competent when it comes to adjustments. But I think he's a really good coach, and I think he, the players like him a lot. The Clippers are just a kind of hit-or-miss team. I mean, they yeah. shot 42 threes um, in game one. They hit 16. They did hit a decent amount, but... A guy like Marcus Morris, I think, is the key to the series. If he's not shooting well, they usually don't win. If he's shooting well, they usually win. Utah's great at home. I think they only lost like five games this year. So it's a tall task to win in Utah, but the Clippers are going to have to do it to win this series at least once. So I wouldn't necessarily say game two is a must win, but we're getting there, especially by you know how, how weak they were in that Mavs series at home themselves. So that'll be fascinating. Um, you know, Another thing Brandon Marcus here on the Money Mitch effect is the other side of this playoff series looks like it could be moving in quickly in one direction uh, with the Phoenix Suns that are just still doing very well, still out in front. They've used that momentum from the Lakers series and got out in front of the Nuggets. They won game one. They're currently up by 15 in game two in the second half of that one. On the Phoenix side, I was in the camp that you want to get to the Lakers early. You want to get to that wounded bear early and not let them gain steam, but what I saw in that series against the Lakers was Devin Booker's, you know, a coronation as a star in this league, really earning his stripes. Aiton is also proving that he is an impact player on the glass with his double doubles and whatnot. But then again, as you know, Chris Paul making a difference and making a team better, which is a very a very fitting legacy for him to have from all the ups and downs, from all the quote unquote big moments that he didn't perform in. This is going to be his legacy, that he makes teams better when he gets to them, because this is now, what, the fourth straight stop that's happened. Yeah, he's simply been unbelievable wherever he goes. I mean, he somehow was able to make um, OKC competitive, and he then goes, and, I mean, you look at Houston and the Clippers and obviously Phoenix, he, he just seems to win wherever he is. And as we're recording this, in with 3.30 to play in the third quarter, the guy's got 13 assists and zero turnovers. I mean, he's just simply... I mean, he's the best thing to happen to Devin Booker, and I mean this in the sense that... Oh, for that sure. Booker needed a point guard. Ricky Rubio was not going to cut it. Just somebody to calm him down, calm the team down. Just yeah. let's run the offense. Let's get this guy involved. Let's take a breath. The grown-up in the room, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. He, they need a veteran leader. They, they just didn't have it. And I've heard great things as well when I've listened to podcasts about Jay Crowder as well. And you put Crowder and CP3 with these guys in Bridges, Aiton, and Booker who are young, and you've got yourself a great starting five, 
And it's very similar to what the Lakers did last year. It's just guys that know their roles and they all compete and they play defense. And you mentioned Aiton, and I think he really has been the story of the playoffs in the fact and just nobody really expected him to perform this well. Everybody's talking about Luka in that draft and Trey Young. But Aiton was the number one pick and he's starting to finally play like the guy that can be a dominant center in this league. And the fact that he's able to compete with a guy in Jokic and perform as well as he has says a lot. And frankly, nobody else in this Denver team has done well. Yeah. Michael Porter has been a guy that has been really hit or miss. Aaron Gordon's been fine. And for Denver, honestly, as I apologize, you hear my kid crying in the background. The funny thing is with Denver, we all expected them to lose when Jamal Murray got hurt. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. But now it seems like they're finally getting to the point where they found a team that can expose them. Well, just just one point on Phoenix I want to make with you mentioned Crowder. They need guys like that. They needed guys like that. And Chris Paul is in a different skill class, but he's similar. And campaigns in that class too. These guys are just fearless. They're not afraid of the other of the opponent. They're not afraid to match up with LeBron and AD and the Lakers and in Jokic. And that they needed toughness, and now they have it in spades. And I think that's done wonders for their team. The Denver situation. It's very admirable what Jokic has done. He's going to win the MVP. He's carried this team. He, he passed a, a very game Dame Willard in the last round. But you look at what he's doing, his stat line and, and his impact on the game, still doing well down by 20 at the moment. So I'm just I'm in the sense, too, where this is almost it's admirable. It's almost like house money because without Jamal Murray, and maybe they need to make more roster upgrades to really contend for a title, but there's nothing more he can do in, in my mind. Like There's no more level for him to go. It's humanly impossible. They're just outmanned and outgunned in this situation. Yeah, look at his guards. He's playing with Campazzo and Rivers. Uh, I mean, that those are not Martin's two guards. back, right? Like, he's he's got of back healthy a little bit. Little yeah, he's back, and he's played, what, 13 minutes yeah, through the first. Tough, I mean, man. 230 left to play in the third as we're recording this. But, I mean, Campazzo's played 28 minutes, and he was fine during the regular season when he needed to step in. But him and Austin Rivers, I mean, those two guys are not going to be guards in the Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. It's just... It's just not going to happen. And when you have a guy, Michael Porter Jr., is not playing well and he needs to be that number two guy, you're cooked. And give credit to the Suns, man. I I thought when CP3 got hurt in that game against the Lakers, it was going to be curtains for the Suns. But luckily for CP3, he's been able to play through it. And the thing for him is he's been able to get to this point. And the question is, can he get over the hump? And for him to get to the Western Conference Finals, and be that close to the NBA Finals, man. It's going to be sweet for him. It's just a matter of who he plays against and how that series goes. Because Suns versus Jazz or Suns versus Clippers, either way, it's going to be an awesome series. Yeah, the West is certainly open this year. It's going to be exciting. Um, I do want to just mention, can we just take a brief moment to talk about how incredible Dame Willard's performance was in Game 5? I know they lost, but that was insane. Yeah, I mean, this guy is just... <laughs> it's crazy. And the fact that he can go and just have those step-back threes... And you, you know what he's going to do. He's going to take a couple of dribbles towards the perimeter, get to the top of the key, take one step in front of the perimeter, and do a step back three. And the fact that, like, there's nothing you can do, it, it's wild. Austin Rivers is like, I defended him as fast praying. as I could. Yeah. It's like, there's nothing I could do. He's my favorite player in the league, and I think part of it is just, to, again, fearlessness, toughness, and that's just a killer out there and uh, a loyal guy. I want to see him get it right in Portland because – They've got some big decisions to make with that franchise, but it sounds like you know, yeah. he wants to stay there. What do you uh, think is going to happen? you think they're going to trade C.J. McCollum, or do you think Lillard's going to leave? 
I would say that they would trade C.J. McCollum. Now, I, this is all, like, obviously I don't have a source within the organization or with Lord, but I think he wants to stay, and if he wants to stay, do whatever you can to surround him with talent, and that might mean trading C.J. McCollum because he could have played a lot better. I mean, that, that that's 100% true. He didn't really live up to his expectations in this last series, but, you know, the backcourt thing might not be the best option. They might need somebody else. I mean, it's... Look, look at some of these teams. I mean, there is a common theme with most of these teams outside of Brooklyn is that there is a post player that's doing very well for these teams that are contending for the most part. So I think McCollum will probably, I wouldn't say probably get traded, but I'd say there's a strong chance of that. Yeah, I'm fascinated because I think if you get a full season of Nurkic and you combine him with a guy in Robert Covington who has been a really good two-way player that just was hit or hit or miss in that series, and McCollum and Lillard, it's like maybe McCollum and Lillard are kind of too similar yeah. in the fact that McCullum is just a three-point shooter and a score and Lillard is a obviously a, point. a point shooter and a score and obviously he's better distributing than McCullum but maybe you need a different type of guard with him because I don't know it, it just feels like they're kind of unsure where they're going because they've got the talent it's just for some reason they, they can't get it to mesh as we transition to the Eastern Conference, I do want to ask you this question. Do you, do you agree with how it's, how it's turning out that Jokic was the clear runaway MVP over Embiid? A hundred percent. I agree I, with that as well. Yeah, I don't understand how you can make a case for anything but. People forget how good Jokic was before Murray. I mean, after Murray got hurt. And then obviously- do games played mean, does it mean anything anymore? Because it, it should. I mean, that's why it was like 72 to 51. Embiid's great, but... Give me availability in the regular season award. I know. That's. It, I don't understand how you could give a guy MVP that played. I don't know what is that. Was it two thirds of the yeah, NBA roughly, season? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. It's just I, I don't get that. And obviously the 76ers are great, but they also have Simmons. They also have Tobias Harris. And yes, Embiid is fantastic, but he he's the 76ers MVP. He's not the MVP of the NBA. The MVP of the NBA was Jokic. He put together a silly season. The guy was a walking triple-double. Eight assists. That's yeah. insane for a center. Eight assists. and He's so good. And a higher per as well uh, for playing more games, which is even crazier. Um, I agree. Uh, but Embiid is definitely the most important sixer that they have, and you saw it game one to game two. Um, game two, he was just amazing in a game that they had to have. And I look at it from the sense that Atlanta got exactly what they needed. They stole one of the first two games. They go 1-1 back to Atlanta. I'm I'm so happy <laughs> For Trey Young and his ascent in this league, and the fact that we kind of have, and not that he's a dis, not that he's an unlikable guy, B Mark, but he's a villain in a sense. Like he loves, and he loves that role. He loves going on the road, getting booed, and then just shoving it in the fans' faces. I think it's great for the league. Yeah, it's awesome. He's embracing it. It's a young star. One more thing, by the way, on that Embiid versus Jokic thing. Everyone will look at, oh, Philly's the one seed, and and Denver, Denver's the three. It's like, can we look at the fact that Denver has 47 wins and Philadelphia has 49? Like, it's only two more wins for Philadelphia. And Philadelphia, they're four, five, six, seven, and eight are New York, Atlanta, Miami, Boston, and Washington. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the Western Conference is just way better than the Eastern Conference. Um, but yes, for Trey Young, it's fun because when he was at Oklahoma, everyone knew he was really good, but he just didn't have. A, the coaching. I mean, their coaching change was huge for them. Um, to bring in McMillan, he's unbelievable. And then you surround him with talent in Bogdanovich and Gallo and the healthy Collins, and, and the team's really good. And that's what he needed. 
and we're seeing how good he could be. And it's fun to have a player like this that embraces the spotlight. And of course, you go up against the Knicks and you get those huge shots in the guard, and your fans bo- fans are booing you, and you embrace it. It's it's fun to watch. I think if I remember correctly, there was some flack for the McMillan hiring, but it, it's worked out great. Like he's he's a vet that knows how to get the best well, out of some Pierce of these wasn't doing poorly. I mean, Pierce wasn't doing awful, and yeah. he just he didn't really have a healthy roster at the time. Um, I mean, Gallo was hurt, and if I, I believe Bogdanovich was hurt for parts of the season. Collins, I believe, was suspended, um, or he was hurt. One of the two things. I think he was suspended last year. Um, so yeah, he was hurt this year. It's just too much going on, but they were able to right the ship. So, And McMillan's always been a good coach. So, do, you think, do you think they have a legit chance to win this series, the Hawks? No. no? no. Not, the, okay. the, only, the only way that they can win the series is if Doc Rivers makes zero adjustments on defending Trey Young. That sounds like a legit chance. I'm going to to cut you off. But. <laughs> that, that's the only way. Well, I think Simmons guarded him more in game two. So if that continues to happen, as opposed to putting um, Danny Green on him, they should be fine because they've got more talent. But the thing is with Atlanta is that if they can get hot from three, they can absolutely steal a couple of games. And it's at the point where Atlanta, if they can win both games at home, then yeah, absolutely. But even if they win one game, it goes right back to Philadelphia with home court advantage. And a game seven in Philly it would be really tough. Um, I still think Philly wins probably in six. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it, it's certainly more compelling than I thought it was going to be. This does feel like Philly in six where Atlanta shoots themselves to one more victory. Um, the flip side of that is if they go cold. I mean, Herter's been great too, but you yeah. know, if, if these guys aren't making their shots, it can go lopsided the other direction. Tobias Harris has been stepping up, which has been good to see. Um, you know, I, I think this is an interesting series for Philly, too, because they're looking at what's going on, on the other side of this conference and trying to prove that they're a legit contender. They got the one seed, but we're at a point in the playoffs now where it's almost like everybody's worst nightmare was realized. The Brooklyn Nets are just an amazing collection of star talent and offensive skill, and it really doesn't matter the defensive matchups. They basically just proven that they can outscore everybody with these. That was the same thing during the regular season where <laughs> but we all thought it would be like playoffs. Okay. Well, this is the playoffs, you know, this isn't yeah. going to work. And, and you know what history says? Yeah. We, that argument is right, but history has never seen a team that's got three of the best, what eight scores in the league. Yeah. Except who knows with Harden, how long he's going to be out yeah. for, but still you, you put Kyrie and Kevin Durant on the same team. I don't think people understand how impressive it is what Kevin Durant is doing to come back after tearing his Achilles and performing at the level that he's performing at. I mean, I think that he shot somewhere near 50% on really closely contested um, threes in the last game. I mean, that's unheard of. And it seems like I think he's 75% or some high number of his shots were contested, like in the close variety and he still was performing at the level. I mean, he was 12 of 18, I believe it was, yesterday. So the guy that's still able to put 30-plus on the board after tearing his Achilles and being the go-to guy, I mean, the one thing is I don't know if Brooklyn can do this um, against Philly without Harden. Uh, Yes, they have KD and Kyrie, but if for some reason you have Joe Harris go cold in a game I don't think Blake can continue to do this, although he's shown a lot more athleticism in Brooklyn than he did with Detroit. Um, yeah, I don't know if KD and Kyrie can do it on, on their own, but they're certainly showing that the two of them are an absolute force. If Harden gets back, they're going to win the title. 
and I don't think it's going to be all that close either. Yeah, I think everybody's worst fear is that they just coast. I mean, they're plus 115 in Vegas, which actually seems like value at this point. And I think that everyone's worst fear is that they just coast to a title, which is a real possibility here. I actually do agree with you. I think that if if Harden's not there, they don't just storm through Philly with, you know, where are you going to get the offense because you know Philly's going to eat themselves. But it's just amazing that... You know the reason that, that they're able to say, okay, Embiid can go for forty, Simmons can go for thirty. I mean, Giannis, if if he does play better, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Like they can just say, we're going to score a lot of points, and you know, you'll have to figure out how to mat- keep up with us. So stopping kind of Embiid. On it. Who who is stopping Embiid on that team? Well, I just I compare it to I know it's a different era and everything, but if you look at how the Pistons beat the Lakers in two thousand four, Shaq ate in that series. Like he did very well. Yeah, and it's and, like and, who else is going to score? You know, and that's the thing, like. MB could, could literally put up Shaq-like finals numbers. And, yeah. I could, and you could tell me that the Nets are going to win by 10 every game. And I understand how that would happen. Yeah, I mean, the one scenario you can see is that Bill, Bill Simmons. Um, ben Simmons? <laughs> ben Simmons guards Kyrie Irving um, and Thibel or, or guards KD. And Thibel guards the other and makes the somebody else beat you. And if you look at that... The two names I didn't bring up are Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid, who do not need to use that energy on the defensive end. And those two guys go ham on the offensive end. And Philly has themselves a matchup that they could be salivating at. Now, if for some reason Harden comes back, then it's a different story. Because you can't do that. You can't have the two studs with three ridiculous Brooklyn Nets players. So it's it's going to be an interesting series if Harden's hurt. I'm telling you, if, if Harden's not hurt, mm. I, I really think I'm going to look back at this and be like, why did we ever think that anybody <laughs> had a chance against oh, this team? I, 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 was, I was probably on the, on the uh, other side of that earlier than most. Like, it yeah. just feels like the Nets. But I was just going to read off 104, 130. This is the Nets scoring in the playoffs. 119 in a loss, 141, 123, and then 115 and 125 without Harden. So that's, yeah. I mean, come on. Like, that, that's where... <laughs> Offense is just at another level. The shot making is at another level. And um, yeah, I just think it's, I'm praying for somebody to step up, which is why you need to have Philly win that series. Cause if it's Atlanta, I mean, what, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, yeah. no disrespect, yeah. but I'd be surprised if it was five games. Oh, if Atlanta advances the next round, they would get swept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we pretty much covered where we are with the playoffs in basketball. It was good catching up with you in that regard. Uh, before I let you go, Brandon Marcus on the Money Mitch Effect, uh, it is baseball season. I know you're tuned into that. Uh, is it? Are, are you sure? Because, uh, I mean, apart from Shohei Otani doing uh, one of the most incredible things we've ever seen in, part, at that plate and on the mound, I don't really think there's much else to look forward to in, uh, in baseball at the moment, especially if you're an Angels fan. Does part of you just like it is incredible, and I believe, I believe me, like he's won me over and a lot of people over. Otani is a generational talent, much like Mike Trout is. But at a certain point, like, do you just feel like you're wasting it a little bit in Anaheim? Because at a certain point, <laughs> I felt that way a long time ago. This is two now. This is two generational players in the game of baseball, and uh, it yeah, sucks. they're still it's at the bottom we're of the division. Stars earlier, and we're like, oh, great! If you have stars, you should be in great shape. It's like, ah, no. How about uh, Rendon, Otani, Trout, and uh, Jared Walsh is having a great season? Yeah, your team should be great, right? Nope, nope, still terrible because that's just what the Angels do. And it's uh, it's not great. It's not great at all. I mean, they're somehow uh, continuing to blow it every year, 29 and 32 this year, three games 
under 500 despite having Trout and Otani. Like that, how do you do that? I don't know. How, imagine just, with the big payroll too. Like that's the other thing with the big payroll as well. Like I don't, I don't know. Their pitching sucks. Their pitching is awful. Their pitching has always been awful. I haven't seen a pitcher come out of the draft that has made it to the big leagues in God knows how long. Uh, they don't know how to draft. Joe Adele is still in AAA. So, yeah, good times. Yeah, make sure you get those season tickets, uh, Angels fans. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say, I, I do have one question for you. What do you yeah. think is a bigger problem for baseball? The fact that you know the averages are down and pitchers are so dominant and you know there's not as much hitting and there's so many strikeouts now, or is it Tony La Russa? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> not knowing the correct innings. And then ever since he came out against Mercedes, I don't think Mercedes has gotten a hit. It's just the like, team is good. I mean, look, I, I'm an Indians fan, so like I, I they're the, they're winning the division, so it's like yeah, implode whatever. But it's like the team's good too. That's what's crazy about this. That's the kind of stuff you see on bad teams or average teams that just tank. He's got a good baseball team that could really make a run at the pennant this year, and uh, yeah, so I'm hoping it blows up. Dude, I think they have the best run differential in baseball. I'm, I have it pulled up. They're plus 90 in the run differential appointment uh, department. You look at the rest of the division, and they're all negative. It's just, it's crazy. The only, their yeah. offense is so good, and their pitching has been so good, despite the fact that Tony LaRue says their manager. I mean, th- they've always had the talent. Like We knew this was going to be a year for mm-hmm. the White Sox, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like It didn't matter who the manager was w- with how good their offense is. Um, but, I mean, yeah, you have a guy who's a drunken sailor in the dugout, and all of a sudden you've got yourself a team that's 14 games over. It's pretty insane, uh, you know, just the fact that the Indians are within a couple games. They don't really score any runs, so any time that they can keep it close, it's a good thing, but that division is pretty bad. This is, I've mentioned this before, the weakest the ALs look collectively in a very long time. Part of it is that the major players, you know, the Red Sox kind of have come a little bit back to earth with Tampa ascending in the AL East. Yankees are in trouble. They, they, they've got a lot going on there. Garrett Cole is not looking pretty good in the media circles right now. But I do think there is a big problem with, you know, I want to see more offense like the casual fan does. Yeah. It's funny because last year everyone's like, all right, they got to fix this. There's so many home runs. It's like they do something with the baseball. They clearly doctored the baseball. And, like, now it's like an overcorrection where they fixed the seams of the baseball and I think made them tighter. And then also you've got the sticky stuff with the pitchers. So they need to find a happy medium because the spin rate stuff is nuts. I mean, you've got guys that are putting together. I mean, Taiwan Walker has not had a good season as a major leaguer, and he's been unbelievable with the Mets. You look at a guy like Kevin Gosman, who hasn't been very good. Like, come on. He's been unbelievable. I mean, you look up and down, and you know, Rich Hill, Alex Wood, both have had decent seasons um, in the past. Like They've had good seasons, but they were unbelievable for parts of the season. There are guys that are just absolutely silly with how good they have been and it's it's crazy i mean look at craig kimbrell kimbrell's got an era of like 0.75 and a whip of 0.75 and he lost the closers job last year so it's just who knows what's going on with, i mean all these guys obviously are not cheating but it's just it's crazy the pitching in baseball it's it's not fun to watch it's boring and the angels still play i think the second longest games of any team actually the last thing i'll ask you as a Clippers and Angels fan, yes. Who who took uh, who do you think was a little more arrogant and annoying, so to speak, with celebrating their title, the Lakers or the Dodgers or their fan bases, I should say. Lakers. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's you know, 
That's understandable. The Dodgers, I think, have handled it a little better, but there's definitely, I'll put it this way, there's definitely their arrogance there that's kind of been there, but they're not really, they're not really accepting the Padres as, as the threat that I think that they should. This, the yeah. NLS has been the most fun division. I don't know if the Giants can keep it up, but Dodgers should take the Padres for real because I absolutely believe they are. Yeah, Gabe Kapler all of a sudden goes from Philly to San Fran, and he's been unbelievable there. But the reason why the Dodgers fans have taken it better than the Lakers fans and been less of pains in the ass is because the Dodgers got their nuts punched so many times in the postseason that they're kind of used to getting pain, and finally they get something in their way. And so they were expecting to lose um, at different points. So when you're expecting to lose and then you get the title, it's okay. The Lakers just like decide to step all over it. Like, oh, we're, we're going to win. It's it's all us. So, I think that the it's more talk. I think Dodgers Padres is is heating up and it's a great rivalry. And uh, you know, with what Tatis is doing, and I think we mentioned this, but I, I love the fact that baseball of all the leagues, even more than the NBA right now, it's become you know the the second generation of these yeah. fathers that have produced kids that are good at baseball across a lot of these teams. I think it's Ted, nuts. Yeah, I think Dante Ted Bichette Bichette all of a sudden has a kid that's a, a baller. It's like I remember watching Dante Bichette when I was uh, when I was a young kid with the Rockies. So, yeah, been, of course, Vlad has been unbelievable too. Yeah, Vlad's been great, and Vlad's the funniest because he has built nothing like his father, who is tall and lean, and he's a stocky, stocky kid <laughs> who just mashes. Like it's it's great, it's great to watch. But no, I think uh, baseball season heating up at this point. Hey, you know, stay stay in it. You're only about seven games out of the uh, division. Oakland's, Oakland's not exactly, you know, unbeatable. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying. To, I'm trying to be positive here. I don't know if I believe it myself, but uh, it's fine. The Clippers will lose to Utah. The Angels, I'll just have no reason to watch apart from Otani, and then we'll uh, we'll do it all over again. And USC football with Clay Helton will be just around the corner. <laughs> oh man, you <laughs> Clay Helton, man, he is like it's gonna happen. He's, we're gonna look at a board, and he's gonna be like the longest tenured coach in like the Pac-12 or whatever. It's like, how the heck did that happen? Decent results, but where you're at, we've talked about this before. That should be, you go, you, you coach at that school, that should be nine wins minimum every year. Yeah. Pain, pain, pain. <laughs> pain. Well, on that note, Brandon Marcus, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you catching up with everything, talking about some hoops and baseball. And uh, we'll have to get you back sooner rather than later. But thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Mitch, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Huge thanks again to Brandon Marcus. Uh, an update, though. The Bucks won game three uh, after we recorded that. It was a battle. Drew Holiday's layup late, so it was a rock fight. But the flip side of that is Durant didn't play good in the first half. Kyrie was bad. No James Harden. Harris shot poor. Basically, everything went wrong for the Nets. So we'll see game four. But credit to the Bucks for getting back in the series. And the Clippers, they lose game two, a one that they were in the lead in the fourth quarter there and uh, could not win. So thanks again to Brandon Marcus. We'll see how the playoffs shake out, and uh, we'll have him back on the show soon as well. Now it's time to switch gears, talking some football offseason. Julio Jones traded to the Titans, where the Falcons go from here. Aaron Rodgers, will he even play for the Packers again? Tebow at Jaguar, and uh, one of us thinks he's going to actually be on the roster on opening day and some hockey playoff talk with Tyler Tesson on the Money Mitch Effect. Here it is now. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, haven't talked to this guy in a while. We're back at it again. Hockey season in full swing. Football offseason really ramping up. It's Tyler Tesson, my buddy calling in. Tyler, thanks for joining the show. And uh, didn't actually plan 
to uh, bring this up originally, but I just saw, you know, it was that big interleague play series between the Indians and the Cardinals that was just riveting the nation, too. Yeah, just two hot teams <laughs> going at it. It's, just, uh, <laughs> ratings are going to be out of the roof on that one. I just, I mean, World Series for sure with how they're hitting, especially. Uh, no, I, it's it's always fun. I mean, I think this time of year is usually just dominated by baseball season, the NFL offseason. You have the uh, the winter sports that are delayed because of the COVID issues last year. So we're still in the thick of the playoffs there. But if there was any, if there was any doubt in uh, the world that, football is king just look at what the headlines have been this last week i mean it, it it really is like the best reality show in the world when you have the aaron Rodgers stuff tim tebow's back in the back in the cast of characters and then julio jones gets traded to the titans so it's it's just another reinforcement that this is the king of the mountain when it comes to sports and announces he's leaving live on a tv show which i think may have been a first <laughs> yeah that i I forgot about that. Which I don't know if he knew that. (laughs) I don't think he knew either. Either I mean, it may have been staged, or you know, Shannon Sharp's just a really bad friend. But it was uh, it was inevitable. It seemed behind the scenes that they at least had a heads up in Atlanta that he wanted out. He ends up on the Titans, and the compensation wasn't too crazy to get Julio. I think the first thing people are going to think of when they think of this trade is just Tyler. How scary the Titans' offense would be if all healthy and all ready to go with A.J. Brown, with Julio Jones, with Derrick Henry. Tannehill's been a top-10 quarterback the last two years. Suddenly this move seems like if Julio's healthy, I know that's a big qualifier, but they're a top-three, top-four offense in football. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing people forget about is all the defensive moves they made in the offseason, too. So there, a lot of people are talking about how good their defense is going to be, and now you had a top-three receiver in the league to a pretty good offense already it's uh they're gonna be a scary team and it's i think it's just gonna open things up for brown and henry even more i i do agree i think Tannehill has proven that you can build around him and i mean it, it isn't flash in the pan it's happened for a couple of years now they've gotten to the playoffs they've had success in the back two regular seasons just to look at julio jones for a second i think one of the things that people talk about is you know injuries and whatnot and uh, it's almost a bit of a misdemeanor because, you know, last year was a, was a banged up year for sure, but he's been pretty durable outside of last year. There have been games that he's missed, and if you want to say he's not able to play a full 16 or now 17 with the new schedule, I'm with you there. But he's, I think, more durable than people give him credit for. Yeah, I feel like everybody keeps focusing on last year just because he missed so many games. And I, I think the other part that hurts him is, I feel like every single week he's questionable, but he ends up playing and putting up about 100 yards and getting a touchdown. But I think just the fact that he's on the injury report, you know, week after week, people just think he's injury prone. Yeah, I mean, look, some people are built for 16, 17 games and others aren't. And if, you know, and the other thing with that is he, he's played, you know, pretty big moments. He's had pretty big moments in the games that he has played. So. He's making up for it throughout the course of the year, and I think this is the first time where he's had that full all-encompassing offense. No disrespect to his teammates in the past, but this is another level with A.J. Brown having one of the best young starts to a career ever. Henry just being a monster. I don't know if you saw that box jump today, but that dude's just like yeah. ridiculous. I don't know. I mean, I think well, this you is... Even, yeah. You think about their Super Bowl team, that he was, or the team that went to the Super Bowl he was on. I mean, that offense doesn't even compare no. to the team he just went to. 
No, and do you think that, you know, they basically got a second and a fourth for Julio in a six-round pick? Do you think the Falcons, like, were, I don't want to say swindled, but this, this, to me, just felt like they had to get rid of him and salvage something. Like, this is a trade where it sounds like he just told them, I will not be showing up for anything. Trade me immediately. Yeah, it definitely seemed like they ran out of options because the Titans got a steal. Other than, I mean, I think the Falcons were happy to shed the salary, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I can't believe they couldn't get more for him than what they got. 32 years old, I, I think, is the reason why. I, not so much the durability, but how do you get a first-round pick for any skill player at that age? I think that might have been the reason why. Now, could you have added some, some more picks, maybe some players that can contribute? Atlanta is clearly looking at a rebuild now. The only piece that doesn't add up to that is Matt Ryan because he's in his mid-30s now. Still has some good football, I think, in front of him. But the way this team's going, it doesn't seem like they're going to contend, especially in that division they're in. Yeah, it's. I think it's going to be a down year for them for sure unless something crazy happens. But, I mean, they were – I mean, you know, going into the draft, people weren't even sure if Matt Ryan was going to be the quarterback. So it's going to be an interesting relationship to see how it works out with the new head coach. It's going to be weird to see him in number two, though. I'm not. I think we're all going to be just weirded out by these single-digit skill guys this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting, that's for sure. But I, I think he's going to do just fine, no matter what number he's wearing. Titans in the AFC now. I know I'm going to throw my Browns in there. Chiefs are the measuring stick, but you start to think about who can contend to really make a mark. In you know, in ball, I guess you could put Baltimore in there too. But the Titans got to be in that first four, first five bunch, right, of teams that could make a Super Bowl run this year? Yeah, I mean, and especially AFC, it's got to be Titans and Bills right now. Bills, yeah, top. I forgot I mean, that I mean, as well. Chiefs, Chiefs are in there, yeah, 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 but it's, I don't know how you could go against them. It's going to be crazy. Uh, the other guy that I mentioned earlier, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is in the news again for not, I mean, we're, we're reaching the standoff portion of the Aaron Rodgers uh situation and I just want to start with this I mean he has every right to be mad at Green Bay and disappointed and you know in the relationship and the communication and all that I get that and stand your ground for sure but at some point we have to acknowledge that uh right Tyler like he's just a weird guy like he just walks to the marches with the beat of his own drum and seems like he's just a weird dude yeah there's a lot of layers of that uh, not talking to his parents and his brother and his family anymore <laughs> auditioning for jeopardy which is great you know set yourself up for after football nobody can blame him but vacationing it's just, uh, with miles teller gotta throw that in there <laughs> yeah there, there there's just a lot of different things he does that no other quarterback does which you know just makes you wonder there was one thing yesterday though that had me thinking that it's more serious than the past because you know this stuff gets leaked out but when the report came out that it was Jordan Love is ready to start week one if necessary, that's when I'm like, whoa, like the Packers are leaking that out because they want it to be known that they have a plan B. This is the first time I thought they actually have a plan B. Yeah, I mean, at this point, uh, if you're the Packers, I, I don't think you have any options. But, it's you know, they're kind of in a tough spot because how many teams are going to trade for a quarterback this late? But it is Aaron Rodgers. So, I you know, I think any team could be successful if they get him. Well, that, I mean, yeah, like you think about some of these other teams that would be in the mix. I mean, Denver seems to be the sweet spot because of Elway and the history there. And I know you saw that rumor as well. 
I don't know how this is possible, but apparently there's still there's still a chance that you know Deshaun Watson might play this year, and the Broncos might be interested in him. It's just bizarre to see the dominoes are still falling this late, especially in that case. Yeah, the, the other teams I was thinking of too, like the Saints. You know, they made a great run with Drew Brees. You think somebody like Aaron Rodgers plugging in could just you know get them right back to where they were, if not better, or even. New England made so many off-season moves, and Cam was one of their biggest problems last year. So you plug in somebody like, you know, Rodgers there, you would think, you know, two teams like that could go to immediate contenders if you plug in a Pro Bowl quarterback like Rodgers. Yeah, that's a fascinating one because you you wouldn't necessarily be giving up on Mac Jones. you just say, look, it's going to take some time here. we got Aaron Rodgers now, so we'll figure that out later. That, that's an interesting one. I think the Raiders, I think John Gruden would absolutely kick Derek Carr to the curb the first chance he gets <laughs> yeah. to find someone better, just judging that relationship. And uh, it sounds I, like Vegas is one of those situations where a splashy a splashy move like that is kind of what they need, you know? Yeah. I just wonder what the market would be for them. You know, looking at what, they, what Julio went for, I believe Rodgers is a couple of years older. You know, I just, I don't even know what you could. 37, I think. Yeah, he's up there. Yeah, like what you could determine for somebody who's, you know, he's probably got three, four years left, maybe. You know, I don't, I don't know how much you could demand at that point. Well, there's, there's definitely a market. And I think the worst, I shouldn't say worst, maybe worse for the Packers. But what, what happened was Tom Brady, basically, I know he's a freak and he plays a lot older, but he proved that you can go and, and you can build around a guy like that in one year, be a contender. And you're going to have veterans that want to play with greatness that will take less money. I mean, it's like Tampa Bay brought everybody back this year. And I think the common theme is Brady. They all want to come back because they know they have a guy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I and that that is a, another like dynamic of Rodgers, though. They've never been able to target those you know top free agents that are in the market that are willing to take less to come, pay, you know, come play there. And I don't know if that's his personality if he has a bad reputation or if it's the Packers just aren't willing to shed out a little bit of money but it is you know kind of weird because a lot of the top QBs usually get people to come you know at a discounted rate we'll see if we see uh, Aaron Rodgers on the sidelines this year or on Jeopardy we're going to have to just keep following that uh, Tyler Teslon here on the Money Mitch Effect I, I had to bring this up because I, it's been a while since we talked about this guy but Tim Tebow's back in the NFL, kind of, trying out for the Jaguars as a tight end. I think the theory, I'm not a big conspiracy guy up front in general, but I love the theory that it just takes all the pressure and talk about Trevor Lawrence away. Like, this is perfect cover for a rookie QB with a lot of expectations. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't. I just think it's Urban Meyer just loves Tim Tebow and just <laughs> or that, thinks yeah. he could consider. I, I mean, that's true. Like everybody, you know, there's all the conspiracy theories out there, but I, that's what I think it is. He just thinks he's one of the best players he's ever coached and thinks he can succeed at, you know, a different position and he's going to help the team or at least bring some leadership. That's, that's what I think. But I, you know, I, my biggest concern would be if I was Urban Meyer is if, Lawrence struggles at all, you know the fan base is going to be calling for Tebow oh, to be, man. you know, playing quarterback. It's just inevitable. Who's their backup right now? I actually don't even know. Like who? Who's their backup quarterback? Like yeah, if, is um, is Minshew still there? Well, they signed. Yeah, uh, I guess. No, I don't know if he is. 
They signed C.J. Beathard. I saw that. So okay. Um, but I guess Minshew's still there. But I don't know. That's another weird one where I feel like maybe he is the backup. But yeah, that's crazy. I think yeah. one of the best prop bets has to be for the year. You know, will Tim Tebow throw a touchdown pass? Because I guarantee you there's going to be some trick play that he's if, going to throw a pass you, or do, you, do one of his leap at the goal line. Do you think he? Passes. Do you think he makes the roster starting? Oh, I think I think he. I think he'll be on the team. Wow, I, I, I thought no, but now there's is there any practice squad eligibility for him? Or like, this is where I don't really know. Like with all the rules work, can they have him? I'm around? not sure. I, I think I just think he's going to be on the team and he's going to wow. play some downs this year. Hey, they're trying to sell tickets to Urban Meyer. Which, by the way, I don't know if you followed some of their draft picks. They've made some interesting decisions, right? Like they're they drafted Travis Etienne when they already have two running backs on the team, like as a first round pick like they're he's taking an interesting approach to this he's bringing in charlie strong another college guy i'm i'm just fascinating to see how this works out because he's obviously a smart football mind but this has the potential to blow up all over his face too so yeah yeah it's i'm really curious to see how this works because it's you know obviously he was a great recruiter in college and i think demanding the locker room and, you know, getting people motivated in college when they're not getting paid is a whole different ball game than the NFL. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how this works and how he adapts to the pro style. That's that's one of the best storylines to follow. I mean, the offseason's still raging on, but uh, still a lot going on. But, but speaking of college, I did want to get your opinion on this, Tyler. Uh, college football might just be going from 4 to 12. Like I didn't, We skipped a couple of steps here, but we're going to go all the way up to 12-team playoff. Yeah, I was uh, shocked to say the least when I saw that. The only, the only thing I can guess is, you know, they wanted to just – beat the storm if they move to eight and then you know all the controversy comes in on oh well nine and ten are just as good as seven and eight and they're just trying to get ahead of it but it's you know at what point do you stop but I don't necessarily have a problem with it because playoffs college football you can't having more games that are competitive with really good teams playing each other you can't beat it I'm I'm torn on this. I understand it's a money making thing first and foremost, and it does eliminate the the debate, so to speak. I just love the regular season in college football, and I feel like we're getting to a point where it's slowly and, and surely being kind of devalued. I think four you still had a a great number. I thought six would have been fine. You know, make sure that the Power Five is all represented and you have a wild card team. But this will eliminate all doubt. I just honestly don't think it's going to change much. Like. 12-team, 14-team team, Alabama's going to win the title with the roster that they have. <laughs> yeah. I, my only hope is, I mean, the one thing I don't like about college football is just the throwaway games. You know, the scheduling three games a year that you know you're going to win that aren't competitive. Like, if you can give having 12 playoff spots now to incentivize teams to play a more competitive schedule, you know, knowing if you lose a game here or there, you yeah. still got a shot at the national title. That, that's my only hope of what this could potentially do for college football is quit the scheduling half your, you know, conf- or out of conference schedule against teams that are just going to be a blowout. No yeah. one's interested. That's a good point. You could just say, yeah, if you if you schedule more than one of those games, you're not allowed. Just you're kicked out. <laughs> right. You know, you get yeah. automatic bid to the conference winners, and 
you got to compete. You know, you got to have a strong out of conference schedule to get in. You're not. You mean you're not looking forward to every year before the Iron Bowl when Alabama plays like the College of Charleston, just a nice little tune, <laughs> right. tune up and, right before. Right. Yeah. You know, it's. I, I agree with that. That's something to think of. Another way to look at what could be different. Uh, no, college football is still going. I mean, I just Saban just signed an extension too. That guy's going to coach still. I mean, I think he will definitely. Whenever he passes, probably a long time from now, he'll still be the Alabama coach. Like he's not going to retire. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think he's going to leave Alabama either. I think if he was going to go to the NFL, he would have won a while ago. I don't, I don't see that guy leaving. He might. Who knows how many championships he's going to end up with at the rate he's going. He's going to double Bear Bryant. I mean, it's it's crazy. Wow. Scary, scary stuff. He and he's got the machine rolling. Everything's looking good. Uh, a lot more where that came from, unfortunately, there for Alabama. Uh, Tyler Tesson here on the Money Mitch Effect. Before I let you go. You know, I know it's it, it, with the Blues being out, it hasn't been as eventful, but the Stanley Cup playoffs have been riveting. And uh, I think it's just, first of all, I think it's just hilarious that Montreal, who had a negative goal differential, came out of that North Division. Just just, just comical that the Leafs choked yet again and that Winnipeg gets swept out of the playoffs as well, that the Habs are uh, somehow somehow a uh, Final Four team. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... It shows you what a good goalie can do, though. He's <laughs> incredible. Hot. Like, Carey Price has yeah. clearly been the best goalie of his generation, and, you know, it, it's exactly what it is. I mean, everybody else. I saw that stat that's like, the, I think it was like 16 out of the 17 highest-paid players in the NHL didn't make the second round of the playoffs, and Price was the only other <laughs> that's one. That's crazy. Yeah, Price, that's was, crazy. Price was the only one to make it, and, you know, I, I used to think paying goalies a lot of money is, and typically I think I'm right that it's a bad investment. Look at Bob Roski in Florida just getting paid $10 million to sit in the stands for the last two games of that series. But Vasilevsky's making $9 million and he's doing great too. So, I mean, there's, you know. Yeah. If it's if it's a good, if you pick the right horse, I mean, it, it's, it's very valuable uh, for right. sure. There's just very few of them, you know, that are worth that much. And it's. You don't want to overpay someone in the mid-market top price just to get them because it's going to handcuff you. I got to say, shout out to, uh, you know, obviously the Islanders making the Final Four for the second straight year. Very impressive. Lou Amarillo, I mean, this guy's been doing it. He's 78 years old for five decades now. Like, helped build Penguins teams back in the 80s. And with the Devils all those years, now the Islanders just four lines deep. Having two goalies that they can go to and just pushing the Boston Bruins around in in, in, in easily the rowdiest slash worst uh, arena in all of sports, but it's good to see yeah. the Coliseum rocking last night. Yeah, I am. You know, the team he inherited wasn't very good when he came in. To, you know, turning it around that quickly, losing you know some top guys. It's it is definitely impressive. Hockey's. I mean, hockey's different you know it's like you can't just have skill and on a couple lines up top toronto found that out the hard way too but even boston they were thin on the back end their their third and fourth lines didn't produce you, you have a team with four lines deep and and can roll defensemen they're not going to get tired and they're just going to wear them down because that's the thing is the islanders barry trotz i think that's the other thing tyler barry trotz has won like five playoff series since the capitals got rid of him and they've won zero <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think they think he won that divorce Right. Yeah, but I and it would be great to see a Canadian team in the Stanley Cup though. That you know, Montreal would be going absolutely crazy if that happened. It's you know, 
that's the thing is like and, and I'm and I'm guilty of it too. We look at a series like Vegas, Colorado is about to play game six as we record this and that series has been amazing. It's been the fastest, you know, it's been a high level of skill. And the general thought is, oh well they're just gonna roll, you know, they, they look better, they look faster. And it's like, well maybe. There's another side of that coin is that if Price plays well, if Montreal slows right. it down, there's been bigger upsets than Montreal winning, you know, another series is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, Stanley Cup playoffs, I mean, how many how many series have we seen go to the team that's got the hot goalie that no one gave a chance to? It's You just can never uh, count somebody out when their goalie's just on the streak. I will say I'm, I'm hard-pressed to pick against anyone outside of Tampa to win the whole thing. You know, and they, they did something that you, you don't really see in hockey. You see it in the NBA a lot, sometimes the NFL, but they turned the switch on. You know, they went through a regular season where they didn't really achieve well. They had injuries. They got the three seed in their division. They were just like, we're fine. Kucherov's coming back. Vasilevsky will get in the zone, and they haven't looked back. And I just think with how much depth they have and how much skill they have at their depth, I mean, Braden Point is like second line. You know, they have third line guys that are scoring and – you know, Pat Maroon's probably going to go three for three in the last three years. Right. That, that's the crazy thing. Three for three would be incredible with two different teams. But, yeah, I mean, great goalie, you know, top line. They've been there before. They've got a great coach. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to bet against them. They've pretty much got everything you would expect from a Stanley Cup winning team. Pat Maroon just, the, that might have been my favorite moment of the playoffs, that face-off against Florida where he just trucked the guy and started a little bit of a skirmish. You got <laughs> to love it. You got to love it. I, I think it's been good, and I think it's, uh, I didn't ask you about this, though, as well as we can kind of wrap it up here. The NHL deal with ESPN and Turner, I think that's a pretty big move for the league, and it's interesting that they split it up pretty much 50-50. You're going to start to see, you know, a lot of the a lot of the migration of, of analysts from NBC over some new faces getting hired. I think it's gonna be good for the game to be on these two different networks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's you know nothing against NBC Sports, but it's just you know most people don't find it as quickly as they can find ESPN. So I think it'll be good for them, and they'll get hockey more coverage on SportsCenter and ESPN. I'm sure we'll get Charles Barkley in on a couple <laughs> yeah, yeah. games on Turner. <laughs> I mean, he's already betting on it, so might as well have him come on the come on the show. Uh, right? Yeah that that'll be good. I think it, I think it's going to be good to kind of grow it. And I saw PK Subban on ESPN also doing some analyst work as well. So there's going to be that crossover appeal, which should be good. Um, but yeah, I'm excited just to kind of see how that develops too. Uh, last thing here, Tyler Tesson on the Money Mitch effect. I did want to get your opinion. I don't know if you saw it, but I did finally watch the uh, two-part Mike Tyson documentary. I don't know if you saw it, but I highly recommend. I haven't yet. What <laughs> channel was it on? ABC did a feature on it. It was like an ABC primetime. It, like, it was like an hour, 20, hour and a half each. But it's on the streaming service. It's on. It's Hulu right now. And, uh, okay. I mean, <laughs> that's... Let's just say, not a guy that I would have looked forward to fighting if I was a boxer back in that era. I'm going to have to check that one out. I saw the previews for it, but I just completely forgot about it. So I'm going to have to make a note to get back to that one. Highly recommend it uh, as far as your boxing content goes. I mean, as opposed to watching Mayweather fight a YouTuber, I think that's the way to go. Just story. <laughs> I would agree with that. And those guys make out, though. I mean, like, people buy it. They they supply them with a lot of money. So, you know, it, it is what it is. But it's unfortunate that you can watch a free fight on ESPN. You know, that's way more serious right. and skilled. Yeah. But 
and they don't even don't even have judges at the fight. I don't, I, no judges, no deal, just whatever. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, Tyler Tesson, appreciate you coming on the show, catching up, talking some sports. Uh, we will be chatting yep. again soon. Thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. All right. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Huge thanks again to both guests on today's show, Tyler Tesson and Brandon Marcus. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And uh, props to the Vegas Golden Knights, who won game six, clinched the series. They come back, went four straight against Colorado. The final four is set. It's going to be Vegas hosting Montreal. Montreal's first time playing in front of a real crowd with the restrictions up there is going to be Vegas. So that'll be fun. And uh, Tampa Bay and the Islanders, again, a rematch of last year, which... Tampa won in six games in OT in the sixth, but you know both teams playing a little better than last year. Great environments there. Great Final Four there. A reminder, you can catch every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect, and it pops right up. Follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21, and check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page as well. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoy all this sports content that we have to give you. There will be many more of that, much more of that to come with some cool guests as well from the industry and just, you know, friends of mine that love sports and have a passion of work in it and uh, are all about it. So thanks again for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. I'm Mitch Michaels. Until next time, keep enjoying sports.